0: Chris Jenkins, I do work within his image, as Bill was saying, and uh, I did attend TCF in the '80s and '90s, and was very much influenced by it. It was very, a very formative impact on my life as a young Christian in my 20s and 30s. Uh, it was, uh, you know, TCF has a great mission history, and just by pure coincidence, I was going through a number of these folders. I pulled out a box to try to sort through and uh, see what was in them, what to do with them. I came across this mission list. <laughs> Of uh, people you were supporting and sent out uh, praying for from June 14th, 1990, 34 years ago, and uh, there were some names on here that you just saw up here in the front too. Uh, Cindy Perry was on there. The shoe packs were on there. The parishes are on here. The Harrisons were on this list. So you have a great history of supporting missionaries through the years, um, and far more than most churches do around the city or the country. I want to comment real quick on the on the communion. I was glad to have that this morning. Our church, Tulsa Christian Fellowship, uh, celebrates communion once a month. And um, I, I always enjoy it. And, um, you know, when Jesus first started teaching about um, feeding on him, you know, you must eat my body and drink my blood, it offended many of his followers, his disciples. And they couldn't understand it and grasp it. And they actually quit following him because of this teaching the, the 12 disciples didn't, and others, not everybody left, of course, and, and and others who still didn't understand what he was talking about stuck with him, and then later on, at the last supper, he explained what he meant, this is my body, this is my blood, take, eat, and drink, and um, it's symbolic of his body, but spiritually, we really, we really do partake of his life. We don't have life in ourselves, except that we receive it from him, so we are nourishing ourselves on his body his blood his life imparted to us daily through the word through prayer through the spirit Uh, it's a literal thing and a spiritual thing uh, but not literally eating his body but the the thing that just struck me this morning again was when in doubt as some of his disciples were give jesus the benefit of the doubt you know don't he will explain things if we'll just give him time just as he did to his own inner circle and those who didn't abandon him he explained this is what i meant and this is how it works and um he makes it clear. So <clears throat> if you're having doubts about something, give him the benefit of the doubt. He'll explain things eventually. Well, you know, as I said, I have used to come here in the 80s and 90s, and a lot of years have passed since then. And uh, all of you who were there as well have gotten a little older, as I have. Maybe a little um, slower, maybe a little less energy. And when I was younger, and maybe you still do this, you who are still younger, uh, oh, to be young and foolish and 60 again. <laughs> Right, Brother Jim? (laughs) Uh, We used to joke about older people's prayer sessions, and we used to call them organ recitals. You've probably heard that. Well, uh, now I'm part of the orchestra and playing my own role in that uh, organ recital. When I exercise these days, I don't worry so much about getting ripped as I worry about not ripping something uh, and just staying um, functional. So I never appreciated until I got a little older how good normal is. But as we've aged physically and are not what we used to be, uh, we don't want to lose our fervor for the Lord and his work of saving the lost. I think we need to be asking ourselves, asking the Lord actually, to teach us how to fully follow him in our later years. We always need to be doing that, of course, whether you're young or old. But we need to do it again and afresh in our, in our older years. How do we follow you now? How do we stay in touch with you and on track with you and uh, full of fervor for you? We don't want to be like some of the kings of Judah who started well but ended poorly because of presumption and pride and complacency. Um, So I guess I have a question for you, especially you older ones, but the younger ones as well. Are you still as passionate about reaching the lost and discipling nations as you were 20 or 30 or 40 years ago? Are you still praying for the lost? And I think you are. Uh, raising up and training people to go, encouraging them and supporting them when they go. So You know, the race is not over, folks, and it's, the need is as great as ever. We still need to be about the work of the Lord. And, and maybe that's the question I'll start this message with. You know, is the need as great as ever? And the answer, of course, is yes. And I want to look at that from several vantage points. And the first one is just the simple fact that the world is as broken now as it ever has been. I was at a banquet in Montreal, Canada in the middle of December, put on a group called Health Outreach to the Middle East. Does anyone know of that group? It's got a neat acronym, HOME, uh, Health Outreach to the Middle East. And um, it's led by Arab um, Christians, most from Lebanon, the top leadership is from Lebanon, and uh, in Canada, of course, there are Arab-Canadian Christians, not Arab-Americans. So it was a meeting of about 200 people, and they were there to raise some funds and, and, and highlight the work that they had done. Almost everybody there was an Arab-Canadian Christian from the Middle East, uh, and almost all, with, with just a few exceptions, were Christians. They're not Muslims, they're Christians, as I said. And I was one of the few that was not an Arab there. Maybe two or three others were not Arabs. I was asked to give a little talk uh, 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 about the Middle East, and um, and I, what I pointed out to them was that the things in the Middle East were getting tougher, not easier, and therefore their ministry in the Middle East is more important now than ever, and not to grow weary. Uh, and it's the same with you. The The things in the world are getting tougher, not easier, and the ministries that you do in missions through your the people you send and the, through the things you do here to support them matter more than ever. And I went through a list of uh, problems in the Middle East, and be- but before I did that, and I'm going to do it here too just briefly, I wanted to remind them and you what Jesus said when he was telling his disciples about the troubles to come before his return. He said that we would see happen a lot of the things that we are seeing happen now before his return. He said there would be false prophets and false teachings, and they are just as prevalent now as they were in Jesus' day or in the 1970s and six, uh, 60s and 70s here. Uh, when in those days, uh, the 60s, 70s, 80s when the Jesus freak movement was going on there were uh, heretical groups called, around called the Moonies and the Way and others like them that some of you older folks might remember and I remember one uh, Sunday after service at TCF and I think it was at Edison High School didn't we meet at Edison once And so it was at Edison High School and one of those groups was out in the parking lot after the service trying to proselytize TCF members and I forget which group it was but uh, Brother Bill Sanders came out, and he recognized what was going on, and he cried out, "Wolf! <laughs> don't listen to these people!" And uh, to try to alert them to the false things that these guys were trying to put on them. So, <clears throat> so again, and and this, if anything, false groups, false religions, false cults have proliferated since then then not gotten less. So there would be false prophets, false teachings. There would be uh, wars and rumors of wars, just like we're seeing right now. Russia, Ukraine, Hamas, Israel, and other smaller uh, battles going around in different places. There'd be natural disasters, as you know, including plagues. Anybody know what a plague is now? You know, we've gone through a a plague the last four years. We call it pandemic, but it's the same thing. Um, And there have been much worse ones in history. You know, the population of Europe was... Decimated in the and what is the 1400s, 1300s, and 1400s with the plague, um, the bubonic plague, and I, I want to say a third of the population was uh, destroyed in about five or ten years, and it c- kept recurring over the years following that as well. Um, floods and earthquakes. Everybody feel the earthquake a week ago here in Tulsa or north of Prague, and of course there have been much worse ones in Turkey a year and a half ago in, in eastern Turkey, western Iraq. Northwest Iraq is really not that far away Uh, tens of thousands of people died one of our faculty members from Turkey And he had family in that area Fortunately, no one was killed, but their houses were ruined and made uninhabitable So even though it's on the other side of the world. It's not that far away on a personal level Um, So earthquakes um, temptations, uh, persecutions, betrayal. Jesus said that people in the world would faint with fear from the things they see coming uh, upon the world as things got worse. Um, but he had a different instruction for his followers and for us. He said that we, when we see those terrible events happen, we're to straighten up and lift up our heads. Now, look up into the sky. You might break through any moment. Not go around slumped over and discouraged with our heads down uh, because... These indicate the truthfulness of Jesus' words. These are signs that our redemption is drawing near. So don't be discouraged. Don't be fearful when you see things happening around the world or in this country. These are things that he said would happen. The bad things are happening just as he said they would. And the good things will follow just as he said they would. He is going to return. There will be a new heaven and earth. We will be saved. Our lives will be different uh, and made new and we will live forever. So we are to see these terrible events in the world and and in our lives personally, when they touch us personally, uh, differently than the world does. They see these things and they lose hope. They feel hopeless. We should see these things and know that God is in control and working out his plan for us and for his glory and that the fulfillment of his promises are nearer now than ever before. So with that perspective, here are a few things going on in the Middle East and North Africa that I commented to, or commented about, to this Arab-Canadian Christian group. And the first has to do with armed conflicts. The Middle East has been full of wars and conflicts between different groups forever, and they continue on. The Israeli Hamas War in the Gaza Strip is just the most recent battle. Um, but in Iraq, Iraq has had wars forever, but in the last 20 years they've been through all kinds of things. They had... Uh, uh, the Gulf War back in what, the 1990s, then they had ISIS coming through in 2014 and tens of thousands of people were killed. Many people were displaced internally and many left the country. In Syria, they, they've had a, uh, a civil war in these last 10 years and I didn't realize how bad it was until I went to a conference put on by Health Outreach in the Middle East in 2013 in Lebanon. And they gather together people they worked with in the countries of that region, maybe 13 or 14 different countries. These are Christian doctors and dentists and therapists and others, nurses that come together to, to pray for each other, share what they're doing, and, and um, be encouraged. And so they had a meeting there, and some doctors from Syria came in, and they gave a talk, and they showed slides. And I was shocked. You know, they, the slides they showed of the cities in Syria, it looked like, we're seeing uh, post-World War II Germany, with all the cities leveled, or London w- after the blitzkriegs of the bombing. They were just flattened. And even at that time, although the war had not been going on all that long, maybe a year and a half or two, already 100,000 people have been killed. And since then, up to almost 600,000 have died in this last decade. And even in la- even though the fighting has peaked and it's kind of calmed down and cooled off, even in 2023, nearly 4,000 people died in the ongoing I I originally thought it was just a little band of discontented rebels out in the bush somewhere, but no, it was a a true large-scale war between different factions. And as a result, 13 million people were displaced internally. About seven and a half of those, seven and a half million of those, left the country to Lebanon and Jordan, and now they're scattered all over the world in the United States, and Canada, West, and Australia. (coughs) Excuse me, Um, just fleeing from that. Uh, in Yemen, there's been a uh, conflict going ongoing now in Yemen that spills over into Saudi Arabia, and it's from Yemen that the Houthis are launching rockets at the ships going through the Red Sea these days, and that we just bombed recently, and I guess we're still going to keep bombing them along with the United Kingdom uh, Britain, um, so military action is going on there, Lebanon has had its share of troubles in the last couple of decades, they had a civil war of their own that ended in 1990 with a 150,000 people dying and had ongoing conflicts since then. Since October 7th, uh, Hezbollah, which controls a large part of the country, it has a lot of followers in the country, has been launching rockets into Israel across the border and receiving rockets from Israel back into their direction. Um, So there's ongoing armed conflict all over the Middle East. The economic crisis in that part of the world is great. They've had devaluation of currencies, high unemployment, high inflation, contracting economies. Lebanon, just this past June, 2023, had the second worst food inflation in the world, with a 280% increase in the cost of food in 2023 over 2022. But that was on top of the previous year's 332% inflation in in the cost of food in 2022 over 2021. So there's a lot of food insecurity in Lebanon and around the region. The Lebanese currency has lost 98% of its value since... uh, uh, compared to the pre-crisis value as of February 23. That's like having $1,000 in the bank one night and the next morning you go and there's only 20. That's what 98% um, devaluation means. They were classified or reclassified by the World Bank in 2022 from an upper-middle-income status country to a lower-middle-income status country. So the people in Lebanon are struggling uh, just on an economic basis. Um, Those with diseases and... and, uh, health issues are having a hard time, they've lost insurance, they don't have money to pay for medications, and the medications are harder to come by because of supply chain issues and all that. So people aren't getting their blood pressure medicines, their diabetes medicines, their, anti- their, their blood thinner medications, antibiotics, antidepressants, all these things are in very short supply and people are, are struggling because of it. So armed conflict, economic woes, and persecution which has been there forever, but in the last 20 or 30 years, it's been very intense for the Christians in that region. Hundreds of thousands of Christians have left the Middle East in the last 20 20 years or so. Uh, In 2011, there were roughly 1.7 million Christians in Syria. Today, there are less than 450,000. In 2003, there are 1.5 million Christians in Iraq. Today, there's somewhere around 120,000. They fled the area they went again to Jordan and Lebanon other places and now they're scattered all over the world when Lebanon was founded in 1947 it was a majority population Christian country I don't know if you knew that but the majority of people in Lebanon were Christians at that time now it's about 30 th- 30% and I could go on with other parts of the world China is cracking down on their own people again and especially on Christians tearing crosses off churches so they don't look foreign or, or religious imprisoning Christian pastors who are not part of registered churches again uh, you know, Sub-Sahara Africa, uh, radical Islamic groups are, are kidnapping and killing thousands of Christians, burning down churches and homes and villages, like uh, Boko Haram is one of the major ones in Nigeria. I didn't know this, but I think it was 2022 I read this, that Nigeria had the highest number of Christian martyrs in the world in that year. It was about 80% of the martyrs in that year was in Nigeria because of these Muslim groups. So, and I could go on, and you've read all kinds of things in the news. You know what's going on in the world. So why am I, or what am I trying to say with all this negative reporting? It's just this, again, that the world is still broken. It's not getting better, and it's in greater need of the gospel now than ever before. Um, it's, the world is turning from God, and it needs to hear the truth all over again. You know, every generation needs to hear the gospel, and we shouldn't be surprised at the need to take the good news to the world again. It's a new generation, new circumstances, but God has a harvest in each generation, and it's up to us to work with him to bring it uh, bring it in. You know, sometimes um, it's harder to get the word out than at other times. I think we as Americans are kind of uh, spoiled in a way. You know, since the end of World War II, we've had peace in America. We've had freedom to travel, to speak what's on our mind, to share our faith, to evangelize, to have meetings, to go overseas in most places and be wel- uh, welcomed in most places. But there are other times that is harder. I think we're entering a time that's going to be a little harder uh, than what we've experienced. So again, is the need for missions and missionaries as great as ever? So as I've just said, on a very human level with suffering and discord, division, poverty and war, the need for the gospel is there. But have we made any progress in evangelizing the world? Is it, is it farther along than 20 years ago or 40 years ago when I was here as a Christian? With all the efforts that TCF has made and other churches have made around the world, is there less to be done now than in those times? Well, the news here could be a bit discouraging, actually. Uh, quoting uh, uh, Richard Brogdon, who is with the Assembly of God and is a missiologist, he said, There are more unreached people now than in the history of the world. He said that in 1982, the world population was 4.4 billion people. It's amazing how quickly it's increased in that amount of time. And there were 2.5 billion in the world classified as lost, with 1.5 billion being classified as unreached of that 2.5 billion. But in 2022, 40 years later, the global population had reached 8 billion, with 6 billion classified as lost, and 3.1 billion is being classified, being classified as unreached. That's not a great number to, to look at. You know, 40 years ago there was 1.5 billion unreached, and now there's 3.1 billion unreached. Well, the unreached world is growing numerically through population growth faster than we've been reaching them. And unfortunately, in formerly Christian countries, Christian lands in the West, the Christian population is shrinking. And honestly, I think we probably need to do evangelism in Europe and other places like that as much as in India. They're about the same percentage of Christians in both those places. So the, the need for missions and missionaries is greater now than ever before. Uh, we hear of the church in the Southern Hemisphere growing and taking its place as the largest and fast, fastest growing part of the church, and, and that's true, it is growing that way. And they're sending out missionaries of, the, of their own all around the world now too. But I assure you that the church, in north, the church north of the equator, in the northern hemisphere, in the United States, in Tulsa and in TCF, is uh, needed as much now as ever before. If we're going to reach those 3.2 billion people, we need the entire church globally working together to, to, to reach them. And that includes the efforts of Tulsa Christian Fellowship. Um, In His Image, the group I work for is a co-sponsor of a mission conference called P-15, and maybe you've heard of it. It's called Priority 15. We're going to have our eighth annual meeting this month, uh, February 23rd to the 25th, and you're welcome to come. If you'd like, I can give you information afterwards. you You do need to register. But the P-15, or the Priority 15, is looking at 15 of the least reached people groups of the world and focusing on them and how can we reach them. I won't go through all 15, but they include peoples like the Tahami in Yemen, uh, Yemen in Saudi Arabia, the Kaliji in the Persian Gulf, the Zaza in, your, in Iraq, the Uyghurs and Hui Muslim peoples in China, uh, people in the Nuba Mountains in Africa, the, Somali, in the Horn, uh, Somali people in the Horn of Africa, the Tuareg in North Africa, and others. And these are people, I, some of them I had never heard of before P-15 came around. Maybe that would be true of you too. But they're not small groups. There are a million or more in each one of them, some of them many more than a million. And there are others like them that we haven't heard of that still have not been reached with the gospel. Um, They're waiting for their turn to hear the good news of salvation. Well, the good news is that God continues to work among these peoples, even among some of the P15, the Priority 15 peoples. And I was encouraged to see uh, Mackendorfer, I forget his first name, Andrew. Andrew? up there in Mauritania. I was going to allude to that as a country in Northwest Africa, but since you all know about Mauritania anyway, uh, one of the outshoots, or um, uh, one of the results of P-15 is a group of people who are also there now, working on the edge of the Sahara Desert, inland, away from the coastal city of Nwakchak, uh, in a medical team uh, reaching the nomads of the desert, or trying to reach them, I should put it that way, I suppose. There's also um, There's also another team that's been put together to reach Yemeni immigrants to Egypt who have fled Yemen uh, because of the wars there. And this team is specifically focusing on these refugees, of which, there are, uh, as I said, about a million. They're not focusing on the Egyptians. They're focusing on these refugees. So God continues to raise up people. He's still giving dreams and visions to the lost, especially among Muslims, but also others, uh, non-Muslims. And I think uh, my prayer is that he start giving visions and dreams to people in our country to turn him back. We've gone so far from him. But there is a need for many more missionaries to be raised up and to be sent out. Um, before I go on with that, I want to put in a plug for our own country and for reaching our own culture uh, to, that we would be praying for a great awakening and call the people of our country back. You know, our country is running away from the Lord into darkness as fast as its skinny little legs can carry it. Um, as a physician, I am shocked to see how many people in the health profession have bought into the lie of transgenderism and without any science to support it, you know, and the things they're doing to young people with hormones and surgeries that are irreversible uh, while they're still very young and shouldn't be making those kinds of decisions. That it's, it's not that these people aren't struggling and having internal pain and woundedness, but the idea that trying to change gender will solve their problem is very misguided, And there are many other lies that are being spread throughout our country now and in our time. And we have to respond to them. We have to counter those lies with the truth. I want to uh, quote Martin Luther, who was of course a, a spiritual warrior in his time. He said, if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ however boldly I may be professing Christ, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all other battlefields where which are not being contested is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. So I'm not pretending that I have an answer for the lies that are going around, but we need to figure out as a church how to minister to the people in our spheres of influence with the truth and to help them come out of the darkness. and receive the freedom that God wants them to have. So the battle rages in our com- culture and country as much as anywhere in the world. We can't forget to proclaim the truth here while sending people around the world. You know, Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 said, All authority has been given me to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the, all the nations. And that was a general command. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he, he was a little more specific. He said, Go to Jerusalem, to Judah, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's a, there's a list there. And often in the Bible, a list is in sequence of priority. Not always, but often. And he starts with Jerusalem, your own hometown, and then your state or your nation, Judah, and then the nearby countries, and then the ends of the earth. And it makes sense that if we don't evangelize our own people, how are we going to do how are we going to evangelize people in another country around the world? And so he didn't say that. Jerusalem is more important than the ends of the earth or vice versa. He just put them all there. They're all important. So we can't neglect our own country while we're reaching around the world. You know, Most of you in this room probably won't go and live overseas, right? (laughs) Some of you will, I hope. But not all of you. I don't expect to see everybody in here in two months go off to reach the Zaza in Iraq or the Tuareg in North Africa and stay there. So most of you will be senders and prayers and supporters and, and raisers up If that's a word, razors up, of people that will go. And so, what you do here in Tulsa and in the U.S. will be very important for the kingdom of God in the future of this nation as well as others around the world. There are challenges in our day to raising up a new generation of missionaries to reach these people. First, you know, we are, as a nation, uh, seeing fewer people in church all across the board. You know, TCF is not unusual and having a a smaller number than they had 15 or 20 years ago. The church I go to, the Kirk of the Hills, is a little over a thousand members, but it used to be 22 or 2300, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And the pandemic didn't help any of us. But this is a nationwide problem. It it means there's a smaller pool of people to draw on for ministerial positions, like to to train pastors or or missionaries and all the rest. Um, In the 1970s and 80s and even into the early 90s in this country, 90% 90% of the population would identify themselves as a Christian. And that, we know that doesn't mean everybody is a Christian, but that's how they would identify themselves. Well, that number has dropped precipitously in the last 20 years. Uh, from the late 90s to now, it's about 63%. And of those people who identify as Christians, less than half would say they go to church on a regular basis, 47%. And I don't remember if that number came in 2022 or 21, but... That's the first time in our country's history that we've gone less than 50% of the nation having a regular uh, involvement with a church. So again, that means that um, there are fewer people to call on to send as missionaries. And every generation, is going back to uh, the greatest generation, my father's generation, maybe some of your grandfather's or great-grandfather's generation, uh, has become less religious, I'm using that term loosely, than the previous generation. Um, to, to today's Generation Z is probably the least religious or spiritual in our nation's history. 34% of them would claim to be, and these are like on the Pew um, surveys, Pew um, surveys, 34% of Gen Z would say they're atheist or agnostic or none of the above. Um, that's far more than previous generations. So they don't have, a, a larger percentage of them don't have an interest in anything spiritual. and. This particular generation, and uh, these these are when people um, label generations, whether it 's my generation, the boomers, as having certain characteristics or Gen Z as having certain char- characteristics, these are all broad strokes, so there 's always exceptions and not it 's not the rule but Gen Z has its strengths and weaknesses, just like any generation they 're very good with technology they 're very good with social media they 're very good with uh, doing things together as a as a group and getting consensus to do things together. They're not as good as previous generations in dealing with face-to-face interactions. They're not as good as previous generations as dealing with people who have a different opinion th- than their own. They don't know how to deal with conflict or um, uh, someone saying, I don't believe you or I don't agree with you. Uh, one um, mission recruiter, and I forget which mission she was with, but you would know it if I could remember it, um, made the comment that in the past, when they would take a, a booth to a, a university campus for a, for a mission fair <clears throat> or go to a mission conference and set up their table and all the rest, people who were interested would come up and start talking to them, ask questions, take a brochure, get contact information, and then be in contact later on. She said, with Gen Z, it's more like they'll, they'll go to the same fair or the ca- same conference, but rather than go up and talk, they'll take a picture with their, camera, with their phone and go back to their room or their home and look them up online and see if they're interested or not. If they are interested, then they'll start a chat online (laughs) rather than go talk face-to-face because they feel more comfortable having that distance between themselves and and a a person they haven't met before. Well, that's not necessarily the greatest characteristic to have if you're going to go cross-cultural missions into cultures that are face-to-face and don't have the technology uh, and aren't used to just dealing with chats and want to have you face-to-face with them. So that's a challenge. And unfortunately, too, uh, the the training, the 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 way they were raised doesn't has not prepared them as well as previous generations to do the normal everyday things of taking care of yourself, whether it's finances or maintaining a household, or managing a household, shopping, this, that, and the other. Um, and so, when they talk about those things, they talk about adulting. You know, I have to. I guess I have to start adulting now. So, uh, you know, take care of those things. So. That, again, is harder when you do it in another country, to learn how to manage the normal things in a, com- in a country, in a culture that's not your own. It's hard for anybody, but when you don't have those skills already, it makes it doubly hard. So you as a church and us as recruiters and trainers and disciples need to take that into account and not get frustrated, but learn that we have to accommodate that to some degree. It's not their fault how they were raised. Uh, it's our fault as older generations how we raise them. And uh, and some of that's not our fault. It's just technology has changed so much that, uh, you know, social media is the main, um, for many of them, the main uh, uh, interaction they have with their own peers. So, but the good news is there's a different solution. You know, when Paul and Peter and the others were raised up, the church was very small. They had all kinds of uh, problems that made it difficult to get people involved. Um, And so there's every, every generation, every culture has its own challenges. And raising up and discipling people, but <clears throat> what, is, you know, what is the Lord's solution to the need for laborers? What is his plan? It's the same as it's always been, we're to pray. The fields are wide under harvest, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest that he would r- send out laborers into his harvest. That is, is and should be our strategy, our plan, our, our go forward uh, effort is to start with prayer. And It doesn't matter what the cultural conditions are in the U.S. Again, our main strategy should be to pray and ask the Father to raise them up and send them out, and then he'll show us what to do after that. And if you want a good book on that, uh, there's two that I'd recommend, and there's actually several, but The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas are Setting Up a Generation for Failure, but and that's from a secular perspective, but it's a good overview of the character, some of the characteristics of Gen Z. And then Mobilizing Gen Z, Challenges and Opportunities for the Global Age of Missions. Uh, an excellent book that looks at it uh, realistically and sympathetically and how to help uh, Gen Z get to the field. So, you know, we are involved in a, in a spiritual warfare, and uh, this has been going on since the Garden of Eden, of course. Uh, Satan's always been there trying to thwart the uh, purposes and the work of God. It never ends. It's never going to end in our generation. It's never going to end until the Lord comes back. And you all know these verses. If I asked you to, you could probably quote them along with me. I'm not going to ask you to quote them along with me, but 2 Corinthians 103 through 6, For the weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are tearing down strongholds and every high and lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So what are these strongholds? Basically, they are beliefs that we hold that are not accurate concerning God, our life, ourselves, and others. And they warp our understanding of all these things. Basically, they are lies that we have believed. But we don't recognize them as lies. They are part of our worldview, part of our belief system. And we take them for granted as being true because that's the way we see life. But um, these strongholds prevent us from knowing God fully as he is. And they prevent us from following God fully as he desires us to. And they keep us thinking that we can't do what he's called us to do. Um, we know there's a spiritual warfare. And I, if I'd asked almost anybody in here, you could have, if I just gave you the reference, you probably could have quoted those verses. But I'm convinced that we don't always recognize when the attack comes. And now let me ask you this, and if you do know the answer, you're, you're welcome to, uh, to shout it out. You know, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through, 3 through 6, so those spiritual warfare verses, What is the example that Paul gave to illustrate spiritual warfare in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians? And I'll give you a clue. It's ubiquitous. Everybody deals with it. Okay, don't feel bad. I've never had anybody able to answer that question. (laughs) And I'm not going to answer it for you. You need to go back and look it up and figure it out. But if, if you do figure that out, that one thing that he illustrates spiritual warfare with would be worth memorizing and meditating that chapter for a year to get it and to be set free from it. But it's just one example. And there are many other ways that we have strongholds that keep us back and, uh, and hinder our relationship with the Lord. The consequence of these uh, strongholds is that we are hindered and defeated in some area or areas of life that God wants us to be free in so we can know him and freely serve him and the people he sends us to. So in terms of missions, what are a few examples of strongholds? And strongholds change as we go through life. So I'm saying some of these from an older person's perspective. So yo- younger people can put in your own strongholds, your own questions. And when you get to be my age, then you can use these excuses for missions too. <laughs> well, One of them might be, well I've done my part, now it's time to take it easy. You know, I've worked for 60 or 70 years, and now it's time to sit back. And I'll tell you that very common attitude or um, viewpoint is a very serious sin, actually. Um, You know, in um, Luke chapter 12, Jesus talks about the rich man whose harvest was so great that he tore down his old barns to build new ones to, to put it into. And this rich man said to himself, Soul, you've raised up many goods for many years to come. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And that night, God said, your soul is required of you. Now who will, t- who will own what you have prepared? So to t- just to sit back and take it easy in our old age is a very serious mistake that God wants us to avoid. And that's a, one of the strongholds. Another one is, I'm retired and out of actions. There's no opportunity for me to do anything. Well, there's always opportunity to do something. Remember Anna in the temple, married seven years, then as a widow, Uh, staying in the temple, praying and fasting for all those decades, until Jesus was brought in uh, to be dedicated, and she, being in tune with the Spirit, knew it, and came over and affirmed that this is the Messiah. And Simeon the same day, he was an old man, it doesn't say how she was 84, it doesn't say how old Simeon was, but he was an old man that the Holy Spirit had told, you will not die until you see the salvation of Israel. And he came up and prophesied over Jesus, and and affirm that he, this is the Messiah, this is this, our salvation. So there's always going to be something, whether it's prayer and fasting or like, teaching or encouraging, there's always going to be something that we can do. And we may have the attitude, well, I've done my part, younger people need to do it. You know, I need to get out of the way so they can step up and grow. And that's, there is truth to that, but it's, it's a false humility if we step out of the way and don't do anything. You know, If we don't help them, if we don't mentor them, if we don't encourage them, if we don't support them as they go through and do other things. And these, are, these other things are true, but they're not excuses for not going on. I don't have the energy I used to have. I'm not physically able to do anything, or very little. I'm out of touch with the younger generation. Or the younger generation, say, I'm out of touch with the older generation and all the things that they do. The, you know, okay, boomer, so you know, keep to yourself. Um, there may be regret and remorse over things not done, so we become so focused on the past that we're not open to what the Lord wants us to do now in the present. And we need to hand our past over to the Lord and not be stuck on the past, even, even things we know we missed. Or if you are younger, you're still working or raising your family, I don't have time for it now, but when the kids are gone, when my finances are stable, when I'm retired, then I'll do missions or ministry. And then you can use all the other excuses when you get to be older too. So these are lies and strongholds of the enemy in our minds, but there will never be a time when we are not needed until we leave this world. What we, what we do may be different. We may not be able to physically do the things we did when we were younger, but there's always something we can do. Again, we can pray, we can teach, we can encourage, we can disciple, we can follow Paul's example and write letters to encourage and instruct people. You can write articles or uh, books or um, teachings in your church that could be passed around. You can meet with younger believers to mentor them and share your life experiences with them. And we can witness to the lost in our sphere of life or overseas. So if you believe any of these things, you're probably dealing with a stronghold that keeps you from feeling all that God wants you to do and know. They're not dramatic. You know, this spiritual warfare is not just power encounters, casting out demons, rebuking Satan, raising the dead, healing the sick. It's a much more subtle and much more pervasive aspect of the spiritual warfare that we're in, and it affects all of us. And we can stare these, uh, these strongholds down. Paul said... We have spiritual weapons to do this with. They're not. He didn't list them in 2 Corinthians 10, but he does list them in Ephesians 6. Helmet of salvation, the blessed bit of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All the pieces of armament that he mentions have to do with the word of God. We need to be in scripture to let the light of the word come in and expose the darkness, expose the strongholds so that they can be torn down. Sometimes the tearing down process is hard and long, but with scripture we can do it. So don't be sidelined by this spiritual battle and the strongholds, Let's examine your beliefs and make sure they're not keeping you from following the Lord fully. Jesus went on to say, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no one can work. And he also said, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness may not overtake you. You know, there are times in our personal lives and in our corporate lives as a church or society when darkness falls. It just does. And what is the darkness that Jesus was speaking about? Basically, it's anything that prevents us from doing freely the kingdom, uh, kingdom-building work of God. Um, those times happen when, when, things, when things happen we have no control over, or when people who don't know the Lord have control over a society. Um, times like these have happened throughout the history of the church, going back to the first church. And so there's nothing new about them. But Jesus not only warned us about this, he experienced it himself. In Luke 22, he said, and these are of the people who came to arrest him, um, Have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you in the temple, you did not lay your hands on me. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. And God talks, when Jesus talks about the night coming, when you will be persecuted and even killed. So sometimes the power of darkness has the upper hand, and God allows it to do so. And these times include persecution. They, think they include wars. Think of World War II, when Nazis were arresting and imprisoning people who were helping the Jews escape. Uh, they happen with dictatorial governments, and even with natural events, like a plague, when people aren't allowed to go out and work anytime they want. So what are we experiencing in our day that would indicate it might be getting darker, you know, and Jesus said to look at the signs of the times, you know how to interpret the weather, look at the signs of the times so you're not unaware, you know, it's not always easy to do, and, and we can misinterpret the signs, but there are things that we can look for, and here are some indicators for our own country and the world, um, the cancel culture for one it's not just on a Facebook or social level which is can be bad enough, <clears throat> but it's major institutions, social media, businesses and uh, corporations and even the government blotting out or blocking things they don't agree with. Uh, Formerly trusted institutions are propagating those lies. Lies are being propagated and believed all across our country. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the World Economic Forum but they've been meeting uh, annually for decades in uh, Switzerland. The most recent meeting was in just past January. Some of their uh, I don't know if you call them philosophy or just statements, but uh, some of the things they're uh, aiming for would be like, you will own nothing and be happy. You won't need to vote because artificial intelligence will determine who is the most qualified to be selected. And this was uh, by Klaus, Klaus Schwab, who is the founder and director of uh, the World Economic Foundation, uh, just last month. Uh, you need to be marked electronically with a digital ID so that we, those in control, know not only your financial status and education and work, but who has been vaccinated and who hasn't been vaccinated. So we can apply pressure to motivate you to do what's right in their opinion. That was by the Queen of the Netherlands speaking at the this last month World Economic Forum meeting, uh, January 18th. And then government control. You know, China is the premier example right now of government control, and Big Brother watching over everybody. You're probably familiar with their social credit system. Is that something you're aware of? OK, I see some heads. So they can control very well the activities of their people through uh, cameras everywhere, uh, facial recognition software everywhere, uh, the control of the internet within their country, monitoring email, uh, Zoom conferences. Uh, It's illegal in China to have religious meetings online unless it's sanctioned by the country like a registered church might do. It's illegal in China right now for anyone under 18 to go to church or have religious instruction growing up, either in the family or in a church or whatever else, uh, although I'm sure people try to get around that and do. But they control banking and monitor beliefs, and again, they're crack- cracking down on the church again, uh, as they have in the past uh, and in the last five years, they've started doing this again. And much of the technology they used to do this was developed in the West and sold to them for, you know, obviously to make a profit, but without much regard for those who would be surveyed by it. Then uh, central bank digital currency. Uh, that's an idea that is coming down the pike. Uh, it's not implemented in any major country right now, but uh, and hopefully it won't be soon. But that's where all your money is digitalized. You don't use fiat money anymore, the cash and the coins and all the rest. But it's all digital and all controlled by the Federal Reserve, and meaning that every tr- financial transaction you make is known by the government, whether it's uh, buying whatever you buy and even recently before this has been in place the D- Department of Justice has been requesting from banks like the Bank of America and others, information about the buying habits of people who were in Washington in, Jan- in January 2000 what was it, uh, one Two th- January 6 2001, thank you and asking for uh, um, information, that, did somebody buy a Bible, did somebody buy religious texts, did somebody go to Bass Pro or buy something, uh, Cabela's uh, have, you, have they taken a trip or buy, bought an airline ticket or rented a, a car or gone to a hotel that didn 't have any specific purpose? Uh, certainly, if anything mentioned Trump or Maga, it was tagged for 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 looking into and what central bank digital currency would do would be to make all this information available to the to the government without having a warrant which they have to have now theoretically because again, they did this without a warrant uh, to find that out from the bank they, they would just go straight into their uh, computer systems and they'd have access to everything you do and be able to limit what you do so if it goes far enough uh, down the road and say you're allotted a certain ration of gas per month and you've exceeded that you go to buy some gas you put your card in there it says no you've exceeded your limit you can't have any more gas that's the kind of control they could have with digital currency it hasn't happened yet and I hope it doesn't but it's a possibility and even though only a few countries even actually tried to put it in all the major countries are looking at this and thinking about it, including the U.S., all the Western countries, China, Japan, they're all thinking about it. And um, I could get a little more detailed about the U.S., but for, just for time's sake, I'll skip some of these things. <clears throat> but government control is a sign that things may get tighter for us. You know, the teachings of Jesus are not politically correct. They wouldn't be allowed, probably, if, if they had their way on Facebook or TikTok or whatever if the wrong people are fully in control or even by the government. Um, The UK is ahead of us in this regard arresting people for saying the wrong things online already. It's not a pretty picture. So I have painted a kind of gloomy picture of what might be in store for us but but my point is it hasn't happened yet and it might not happen if the church as a whole cries out to God. You know, God spared Nineveh at the preaching of one prophet. He came in, God's about to do some terrible things here if you don't repent, and they repented. And they they avoided the disaster that God had planned for them because of their sin. And God tells us somewhere in the Old Testament that if his people will humble themselves and pray, he will hear us and heal our land. We need to be doing that. So it's not inevitable that these things happen. But it may be inevitable if we don't turn around. So my purpose is not to depress us, (laughs) although it may have, but to motivate us to take full advantage of every opportunity we have now while we still have the freedom to do so. We still have light. We can still travel freely. We can still uh, voice our opinions. We can still share our faith. There is still daylight and we should be out in it doing the works He called us to. Jesus said again in Luke chapter 12, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamp lit. How do we keep ready? How do we stay ready? Is that some super, you know, supernatural um, uh, odd, unusual thing to do? No. I think it be- means simply believing what the Lord said and doing what the Lord has put in your hands to do while he's away. It doesn't mean doing something radically unusual as a Christian. Now maybe if you're becoming a Christian you're new to all this, maybe it may be radical, but if, uh, for a, a mature Christian it's nothing unusual. It just means for the Christian to be doing the tasks he has given us to do. It isn't complicated. It does require faithfulness and diligence, however. And he gave us, Jesus gave us some examples of what it meant to be diligent. So if you're the doorkeeper, stay at the door and open it up when the master comes in the house. If you're in charge of other servants, make sure they have what they need to do with the job that the Lord has given them. If you're the watchman, make sure the house doesn't get broken into. Don't go off and play cards in the back room and have a drink or you know goof off and miss your job and when the Lord comes, you're not ready to open the door you're not feeding and, and supplying the other other servants of the Lord, and you're not watching the house to keep it safe. The opposite is to not take the words of the master seriously and to assume that he's going to be a long time in coming, and so begin to take advantage of others and indulge self and neglect our task that's not complicated either it's a co- it's common it's a it's a constant temptation, but the outcome is very different from the one who is doing what they should be. the Lord said. Blessed is that slave whom the master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will gird himself, the master will, to serve, and he will have them recline at table and come up and wait on them. But for those who are not ready, it's a very different picture, and you can read it for yourself. Um, So what has God given you to do for his kingdom? Again, it's not complicated. Share your testimony. Teach the young believers, be an active part of the body, serve others, keep his word, go where he leads you, and don't neglect what he's called you to do. What does it mean to keep our lamp lit, keep our connection, our relationship with the Lord fresh? Don't let our first love grow cold. That's also a temptation. We get so occupied with the things around us that our fervor for him personally cools off. Don't forget the master's words, but take them seriously believing them and carrying them out even in his absence. You know, perseverance is a quality that the Bible talks a lot about and says is extremely important. Paul talks about it, James talks about it, the writer of Hebrews talks about it, Jesus talks about it, God the Father talks about it in the Old and New Testaments. And my my personal definition of perseverance is facing and going through any trial without compromising my or our faith our integrity, our love, or our, or our obedience. And I could comment on each one of those, why they're important. But it's in difficult times that perseverance matters the most. You know, around the world, there are mission clinics and hospitals. There are people doing business as missions. There are people teaching English as a, a means of being in a country and serving and having an opportunity to share. Uh, this happens in villages, in huts, in mobile clinics, in the desert, in the cities people's lives are being touched, healed and saved because of the work of people following the Lord. But these things happen only if we send, if we go, if we support them so they can stay. Again, Jesus said, "We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. It does come eventually when no one can work." The work of the Father, the work the Father sent Jesus to do is our work as well. Proclaim the gospel evangelize and disciple the nations baptize them and teach them all that Jesus said and commanded us as he said in Matthew 28 this is the work we are to continue and to be about we're not to delay, we should not delay we shouldn't put it off, we shouldn't think that someone else's job, it's someone else's job but we are to go do it even in our elderly years, older years and especially in your younger years when you have the energy and strength to do it so we um, the world is getting darker both here and abroad. But, you know, God has given TCF a vision for missions, and you've been pursuing it for decades. And he has and will give you the resources and the gifts you need to carry it out. And he will open doors of incredible opportunities for you as a church and, and you as individuals. So we need to keep doing our part as a church. We need to keep moving forward with the love of God to carry out our vision and call. And because of TCF, many lives have been touched, have been healed, have been saved over these many decades. But the world continues to hurt, but the world is within our reach. The world still is our ministry, and this is our time to do something to help. Jesus in, in the same chapter, verse 12 Blessed are those slaves whom the Master will find on the alert when he comes, whether he comes in the second watch, which is up to midnight, or even in the third, which I believe is to three in the morning. Blessed are those slaves whom we find so doing. So may God find us faithful. Thank you and amen. Thank you Chris, if the ushers had come, we're going to linger just another minute or two and we're going to receive a special.